Welcome to the Nativa podcast series, where we bring in a bi-weekly basis the latest insight into the conversations among Hispanics and Black Americans. I'm Natasha Pongones, co-founder and CEO of YE Business Intelligence, and joining the podcast today, like every bi-weekly podcast, is my business partner, Eric Diaz, co-founder and CEO of YE and Nativa Inc., and joining the podcast today, we have one of our data analysts, um, Josh Characarita. Thank you everyone for watching and listening. So the topic today is um, the NBA basketball. So, you know, our team, uh, especially the Phoenix office is very passionate about basketball. So um, they're all were very excited and doing this analysis. Um, so Josh, I'm really excited to learn more about all the inside, get some of the top players, the top teams. So let's get started. So tell us a little bit more about the range when you collected the data, the volume of the data, and also what are the teams that you are analyzing? Yeah, so in this short study, I collected data from March 10th to April 9th, a one month period. And I got about 300,000 conversations from Twitter. And of those 300,000 conversations, 60,000 were from verified US Hispanics and then 40,000 were from black Americans. Very good. Um, so, you know, when we're looking, I think volume wise, um, the some of the latest report that we have done in different topics, uh, we have to actually look back trying to get enough volume to gather relevant insight. It looks like for this particular topic, you didn't have to really look back. You had enough volume of conversation to do a very in-depth analysis. Yeah, and also um, if I did look back, I'd only look back like maybe one or two months because I want to be within the basketball season. I don't want to have to Absolutely. have all these conversations from, I guess, a year ago as yeah, well. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. So yeah, so tell us a little bit more about the different teams that you're analyzing. Yeah, so we looked into the the Brooklyn Nets, the Golden State Warriors, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the 76ers. We looked at these teams. They're some of the top four uh, popular teams. They're doing great right now in the in the season, and we just we wanted to analyze uh, these. Mm -hmm. um, out of these teams, we found that the Lakers had the most amount of volume just in general, and I think that can be partly attributed to one their popularity, but two, it's also just the way the search was like formate formed. Um, it's a lot easier to search for like just the Lakers than some of the other team names. Cause like Nets, Warriors, mm -hmm. those are both words. And then Sixers are doing great, but uh, not as many, it's not as popular of a phrase just being thrown out there. Yeah, I hear you. Lakers is kind of like pop culture. And I, I mean, Lakers are so popular that, you know there was no doubt they were gonna be uh, within, within the top four teams that we analyzed. Uh, they also have obviously Kobe Bryant passed away a little over a year, year ago. So there's that only grew their popularity more than it already was. Um, they also have, you know, somebody you might have heard of LeBron James that plays <laughs> on their team. So uh, yeah, there's no shortage of conversation. As you can see, there were more than double um, the yeah. Los Angeles Lakers over over all the other teams, which 
you know, legitimately, the Golden State Warriors have a lot of conversation too. I mean, they won three championships in the last five years, I believe. Um, so they, you know, they, they generate a lot on their own. They've got Steph Curry, who actually I recently learned Steph Curry. Uh, I learned his Chinese name actually just the other day. Just not, uh, I have a Chinese uh, tutor and uh, she told me that Curry in China actually has the name Kuli is his name. They, they don't, you know, obviously they have Chinese names for a lot of people, but somebody as good as Steph Curry gets their own name. So <laughs> anyway, that's, you know, but even with that, still everybody was uh, dominated by the Los Angeles Lakers. So interesting to see Josh. Yeah. And they had a good volume of Hispanic conversation as well. When you look in the proportion of the, between the different ethnicities, um, a lot of Hispanics are also talking about the Lakers. Yeah, the Lakers definitely led in the Hispanic conversation. They had 20%, while the next highest, the Golden State Warriors, had 17% Hispanic. And, um, like, it was almost twice as much as the Philadelphia Sixers, who had almost just 10% of their conversations coming from Hispanics. What is interesting, I think, you know, when you look in, that's for Hispanic, but in comparison with Blacks Americans, even though the, the Lakers still have the largest volume, um, there's only 12% versus Hispanics is 20%. Um, so, you know, I guess I would have expected a pretty similar number in there. Um, so I think that that was something interesting for me. Very good. Yeah. And let's uh, look at the language a little bit, Josh. What did what uh, what stood out to you as far as the language Hispanic spoke? Um, so I kind of expected it to be very English dominated going into it, and when I saw it, I saw that there was actually, uh, I guess, significantly more Hispan or Spanish conversation than I thought there was going to be. Um, some of the teams had up to ten percent Hispan or Spanish conversation and ten percent bilingual conversation. Yeah, the bilingual doesn't doesn't uh, I guess really um, surprise me because you know probably talking about basketball they might write I love or me encanta basketball or something yeah. like that and I think that kind of conversation right. kind of happens more naturally. I think I've got a Spanish one I can share right here. Um, it, yeah, it, it's a it's a conversation. It's a I think a sports commentator or analyst that was talking in, in English about one of the teams, uh, the 76ers. And then somebody, a fan, I think a, a, an LA Laker fan, I can see that just from his uh, from his uh, handle, was <laughs> talking about um, you know the Sixers gonna gonna be stronger, a better team, be able to better compete against the Nets, which I know we're gonna get into the Nets a little bit a little bit later, um, as far as like what drove conversation for them. Yeah, and I think you know talking about. Um, the term basketball, you know, even if why it's bilingual, even though for someone who's talking in Spanish, right, when we're looking about the, the translation in Spanish, it's so long, baloncesto. And I think basketball is one of those terms that he's translated regardless of the language. I think, you know, even if you speak French or some other language, they still call him basketball. Uh, everyone can adopt that English term. So, yeah, I think for this one, maybe the bilingual is a little bit skewed because of that. Uh, as far as the uh, the age generator, the Latino index, uh, I looked at this, and I guess yeah, not not terribly surprising as far as the the Latino index kind of uh, spread. Mostly L1, which is going to be your mostly English speaking, Hispanic kind of more acculturated. Although it, it did tend to be between seventy and about eighty three percent per team, 
it was a little bit lower on the Phillies, Philadelphia, the 76ers had 70%, whereas for the Lakers, it was a bit higher. It's like 84% was L1, very acculturated Hispanics, and um, and less of the less acculturated Hispanics speaking mostly Spanish um, and engaging with mostly uh, Latin American content. So the 76ers had really had the, the most range of the L1s through L5s that were talking about it. So that was interesting. That was a little bit um, surprising to me, I guess, as far as, it, you know, which team would lead. I, I probably would have guessed the, the Lakers right off the top, but um, but yeah, but interesting to see that. Yeah, and, you know, kind of leading in into the gender analysis, um, one of the things that was surprising for me, Josh, on this one is, how many um, users were you able to collect and do the face recognition? Uh, in some of the other reports that we have done in the past, the sample tends to be a little bit smaller. But for Hispanics, on for this analysis, 2,400 tweets were analyzed through face recognition. Um, and based on this analysis, it seems that 20, the 35 to 44 years old are the ones that were leading the conversations. Uh, and in particular, I think the 76ers are the one they had the most, 42% of conversations. So it's interesting just to see perhaps within that age group, and Eric, you probably know more about this, you know, if maybe it's just fans that grew, um, just being passionate and, and fans of that particular team. I was a little bit surprised, I guess I expected maybe the LA Lakers will have more conversations. Um, but definitely very interesting. And I think with Blacks um, American as well, you had a large volume of conversations, 37,000 37, uh, tweets were analyzed through face recognition. And also that 35 to 44 years old are the ones that were leading on the conversation. So definitely a, a sweet spot there. Um, were you guys surprised perhaps on the age group? You know, for me, I, yeah, I would have thought a little bit younger. I would have thought maybe that um, 18 to 24, I thought would, would have been a little higher. It really, the, the, the whole spread was mostly 18 to 44. And there's there three groups, 18 to 24, 25 to 34, and then 35 to 44. That made up generally about 85% of the conversation. So that's all of it basically. But I would have thought a little bit younger on this. Um, you know, I, I guess I will say that uh, for one of the unique things about about the, the NBA and the fact that this is a Twitter analysis, like all of our data is coming from Twitter, most most of the players have Twitter handles. So that makes Twitter very conducive to actually talking about the NBA because you know it, it makes a difference when you write a when you write a post and you can at mention you're talking about Carmelo Anthony or or Steph Curry or, or Kevin Durant and you can at mention them or mm -hmm. you can use their yeah you know, that's it makes a difference. You can actually, you know, you can click on them and see what they're actually talking about. It almost, it makes it more personal. It makes it you feel a little bit closer in connection uh, to them. So, it if it was uh, a topic that you really don't have the people that you're talking about have handles, I think it, it can make it a little bit less engaging. So I, I'm not surprised that in general we had as many people talking. I would say the 35 to 44. Yeah, the, <laughs> I happen to be part of that age group. So I would say, yeah. I, you know, Natasha, to be honest with you, my, my TV is on every day uh, and it's always, <laughs> I'm not really watching. It's just on there. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, just in case I want to watch, you know, the, 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 uh, the game is on. Um, and, you know, the, I think the, the NBA has done a great job of creating a fantastic product that's made a lot of 35 to 44 year olds 
very, you know, kind of interested in just having the game on. And then there's, you know, a lot of folks that just talk about it. And again, you know, there's so much, so much um, ability to converse about them. And then so many topics going by. I know we have some sentiment stuff we'll talk about in a minute, but, um, but yeah, so I would have thought a little younger, um, but too, yeah, I that's, think that's I, how it is. Yeah, I think I'm the surprised. Only, like, obstacle the younger audience might have is that, like you said, you have at home the availability of the game at home all the time, but a lot of the younger audience, they don't have cable or TV, so they have to resort to going out to the bar or something to watch the game. That mm -hmm. is true. Yeah, a lot of folks, if you want to get NBA content these days, you got you got to pay for it. Uh, you got to, you know, I've got two different things I'm using. One sling, 30 bucks a month, you got to watch the majority of the games. Mm -hmm. But if you, I also pay for a NBA TV, it's like seven bucks a month, and that's on Amazon Prime. Um, so generally, you know, uh, I pay $37 a month to watch all the NBA I can yeah. Really get. Yeah. And then if you and have most people younger, right. To your point, yeah. probably aren't going to pay that. Right. Exactly. Cause yeah. I looked into it and then I can't even watch all the games for like a specific team. I like because a team like the Lakers, they have a, a specific channel contract almost. Yeah. That's a really good point. You can't watch all the game. I mean, there's a couple things. One, if you're in their market, you can't watch those games. So like, for example, if, uh, if, if you bought a league pass or something for the Suns, we live in Phoenix, you wouldn't be able to watch the Suns game that they're already nationally televised or something. So there's like, there's some complexities with the TV contracts that makes it a little bit uh, hard for maybe some of the younger folks to watch. And I think you guys bring a really good point, right? When looking about how you can create that brand loyalty, unless you make it accessible for everyone or for the new audience, it's going to be really hard to maintain and have a, a a model that is sustainable long-term, right? So I think looking in, in the future, perhaps, um, you know, I know that we all go into such a giant digital transformation across different industry, but that could also be something worth for the NBA, if anyone is listening to this, just to reconsider how to better maximize the reach and the engagement, especially with a younger audience, um, because not everyone have the $37 to spend a month, especially when you're looking at the Gen Z or, or the millennials, um, you know, they're very much really thinking twice in how they wanted to spend their money and, and making sure they're making the right decisions along the way. So, so definitely yeah, something it, interesting. Natasha, great point. Let me just add one other thing onto this. I, I joke about this all the time. I think you have to become an expert on how to watch TV these days. It's so much harder to watch TV now than it was when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, you literally walked over to the TV, turned it on, and that was it. And if it was on, it was on. If you're, if you're, you know, we didn't have cable growing up, but a lot of people had that extra option where they could, you know, get the extra 80 channels or whatever. But, you know, for the most part, the majority of people when I was a kid back in the 80s, 90s, you know, you had six channels that you could flip through. Right. And the NBA was on maybe once or twice a week, right? But now with the plethora of options, you know, you have to figure out, is it, you know, am I buying cable? Is it like Spectrum or Cox? Is it, uh, or do I need to get a League Pass subscription? Is it uh, Amazon Prime is going to give me, can I watch it on Twitter? You know, there's so many different options for it. It's, it's oh, very, you almost need a PhD in like how to watch <laughs> NBA. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, another point as you were, you guys were talking about for white paper, we only collect data from Twitter. We do this NBA analysis pretty much every year. Um, and, you know, we can look back and compare some of the volume and the insight. But I do remember in maybe two years ago or a year ago, um, reading an article before we did some of this analysis about how the NBA actually is one of the 
first professional teams, um, they actually took the initiative to allow the players to engage with the followers on Twitter and encourage them to have their own profile, to talk, respond, share comments, because that was a, a way to have that direct connection with their followers. And I think a lot of the other sports, they kind of took the, the lead from the NBA and the model of the NBA and started applying it. But the NBA was one of the first one they actually were really maximizing Twitter in particular to engage with that audience. And absolutely, I think they have been able to do a, a, a great job. Um, you know, sometimes they have gotten in trouble for sharing some of their personal opinion. They were sport related, um, but you know, that's, that's what makes them, I think, more human and be, being able to connect with their audience. So, and this is, I mean, I was not so surprised for this one. So guys, I'll let you take the gender analysis, which is heavily male dominated. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a, a male conversation. 80, yeah, 85% for the Golden State Warriors. And that was the heaviest, uh, or I'm sorry, that was the, uh, the lightest of um, pure male conversation. The other, the, the heaviest was 93% of the Brooklyn Nets conversation analyzed among Hispanics was uh, from, from men. So yeah, definitely, uh, it, you know, if you're, if you're watching that content, if you, you know, you're watching TNT, you're watching ESPN, you know, all of the commercials are targeting men. I mean, right. I think Natasha, if you were to catch a game, you'd be like, I've never seen these commercials. You know, <laughs> it'd be like me watching reality TV or something. Like, <laughs> what do you assume they watch reality TV? I might oh, not. I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and Josh, what would you say about looking at the, the Black American conversation, gender analysis? Um, about the same thing we noticed. Uh, it's very male-dominated here, too. We I kind of expected it to be maybe close to 75 to 20 percent, but it was like 90 to 10 percent more. Hmm. Yeah. So overall, yeah, overall, it was a Hispanic and, and Black men predominantly talking about uh, the teams. Josh, in the sentiment analysis, uh, what did you? What were some of the things that caught your eye? Um, so, all the teams kind of had a high amount of negative sentiment compared to other reports, and that's just kind of inherent with sports. People are talking about, "Oh, that game was trash," or "I could have done that better." But um, I noticed that the Brooklyn Nets had a large amount of like negative sentiment compared to the other teams. So you dig into it a little bit. Yeah, I was digging into it, and people were really upset. About how stacked that team is, mm. they're calling it a super team. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to pull up any of the tweet, but oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so essentially, they um, the team right now has like Kevin Kevin Durant, James Harding, and uh, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, and just those big three, they feel like it, that Nets are stacking their team. It's unfair, and then they're adding. Mm -hmm. other people um to the team at like a lower value like bargaining Blake, prices or? yeah <laughs> bargaining prices like Blake Griffin he got signed on at because he's older now but he just at a less lesser value than what he's actually worth because of how old he is and now he's gonna win games yeah it, it's, a, it's a great point and that's something that we see with uh it's a, last 10 years pretty common to see like guys that kind of getting older in their in their career and they're like hey i gotta win a championship you know because you are judged um you know whether you want a championship or not if anybody you know watches tnt one of the things that Shaq always teases charles barkley for is how many championships you have and charles barkley has to say zero every time because he never won one you know as yeah. good as he was superstar 
how many rings you got? His hand has no rings. So that's something that some of these older guys, uh, the tweet I'm looking at right now is talking about LaMarcus Aldridge. And as you mentioned, Blake Griffin, they both went to the Nets and both of them are older in their careers. Both were going for a championship, both signed for probably less than a million dollars, which in the NBA is kind of, you know, for those guys at those level, they, mm-hmm. they generally make, it ranges, but anywhere from 10 million to 30 million a year, pretty much right. um, is what they make. So for them to sign for less than a million is, you know, you know why they're doing it. They're going for a championship mm-hmm. contract because there is a salary cap. So you can't just pay everybody $30 million, yeah. you know? So um, now I will mention, there was a caveat to this. LaMarcus Aldridge, unfortunately did have a uh, heart condition and he actually was forced to retire. So he actually didn't, I think a week after this came out, he did retire. So he wasn't able to join, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see what, drives that conversation positive negative for those teams and, and like you said josh more negative than, than we would have expected for both yeah I, for for black uh, american audience as well 36 percent negative you know it's it's borderline close to 50 percent negative so that's that's a lot you know people you know probably rooting against the nets or hoping that you know the the superstar squad you know, kind of rooting for people like to root for for david versus goliath right? yeah so exactly all right, and let me just skip down to the word clouds, Josh. Anything that that uh, stood out to you? Um, so, uh, the if we analyze like which hashtags, team-related hashtags, uh, are the most popular, we see that the Lakers have the most, like just the hashtag Lakers, generated the most content, which reflects the high amount of volume we got from the Lakers. Yeah, uh, I do see that Lake Show is uh, one of the more popular ones, number yeah. two overall, and. Number three is Lakers itself. Yeah, and then, and then Lakers oh, yeah. win. Yeah. So, and then like they also had Lakers family. So there, Lakers did generate a lot, a lot of hashtags from Hispanics. Josh, in the Black American word crowd, uh, <laughs> word cloud, what did uh, anything stuck out to you? Uh, yeah. So I saw that the there was a lot of popular hashtags for the New York Knicks from the Black Americans, and it was just interesting because the Knicks weren't. Uh, a team that we actually looked into for the short study. Ah, yeah, there are a lot of Knicks uh, conversations. I would say, so I actually grew up a Knicks fan, Patrick Ewing and all of that back in the late eighties. And the Knicks have not been relevant for the last 10 years, approximately until this year, they're actually really good this year. So I'm wondering if uh, people are doing comparisons, Nets, Knicks, because obviously those guys play across the river from each other. So there could be a, a nice, friendly rivalry and sometimes maybe not so friendly rivalry between those two teams could be part of it. But, but yeah, interesting to see the Knicks show up as that much without us even focusing on that as one of our top four teams. Yeah. So I think part of it is like you said, the comparison between the Brooklyn Nets and the Knicks. And then another thing was, I think they played at the, the Nets stadium or something. Uh, okay. And that so makes sense. it was like, watch Brooklyn at, or, watch New York Knicks at Brooklyn Nets or something like that. Got you. So if you, you could get some game day conversation that really uh, was heavier than some other days or some other teams. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. We're good. Well, thank you for sharing that, Josh. Um, it was very, uh, very, very insightful. Yes, definitely. Good, good analysis. This report will be free to download in our website and uh, check out hawaiiintelligence.com. And if anyone has any question or would like to learn more about our free white papers, feel free to send us an email to info at hawaiiintelligence.com. 
uh, and make sure to come back in two weeks from now where we'll be doing another podcast analyzing one of the latest conversations among multicultural Americans. Thank you for listening and thank you for watching.